get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese authorities are allocating resources and funds for disaster relief following the damage done by Typhoon Doksuri. Niger's coup leader has spoken out against sanctions on his country and warned against foreign intervention. Hunan province is taking steps to preserve and protect dragon boat culture and heritage. In business, China's service sector starts Q3 on a strong note. In sports, more gold for China at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, cultural exchange activities. In in conjunction with those games in Chengdu. And now the day's top stories. Chinese authorities have mobilized various resources to accelerate disaster relief and reconstruction as the remnants of Typhoon Doksuri batter swaths of Beijing and its neighboring areas. Of the government's earmarked 100 million yuan, or roughly 14 million U.S. dollars, to support post-disaster reconstruction in Beijing and Hebei province. Rescue teams from across China are beefing up efforts to save lives in Zhuazhou, a flooded city bordering Beijing. Guayan has details. The city of over 600,000 residents is among the worst-hit areas in this latest round of torrential rains. A video showing the basement of a residential building near a river collapsing with a huge amount of water pouring in has gone viral on social media. A resident who was trapped at home says they have been suffering with no electricity or water supply for several days. The flood water keeps pouring in. The electricity, water, and gases have been cut off. We need help. Official data shows nearly 80% of the 130,000 residents affected by the flood have relocated to safer places. I feel like I've been saved. When I was trapped inside, I felt pretty depressed. Now I feel more at ease. The city is also at the confluence of several rivers, which aggravated the flooding. Local authorities dispatched over 8,700 people to help with the rescue and relief efforts. They worked in collaboration with soldiers and professional rescue teams. Dozens of rescue teams from other places across the country have come to help. Li Jing is on the rescue team from Shanxi province. The water flow here is quite swift, and it's already flooded up to the second floor. Currently, all five boats are in use, each capable of carrying seven to eight people at a time. Some individuals are clinging to utility poles, others are standing on trees, and there are also people immersed in the water. We'll prioritize rescuing those in the most dangerous situations and transfer them to the rooftop of a building in a kindergarten. The school is also submerged in water, but its floors are relatively higher. Wang Wenlu is the deputy director of emergency management in Baojing, a city that administers Zhuzhou. The official says they have prepared for the flood, but its severity was beyond expectations. We made preparations in advance and told local residents to leave, but the current situation is severer than what we've expected. An emergency rescue headquarters has been established to allocate various resources. 
In Hebei, the provincial transportation department has dispatched more than 26,000 emergency personnel to help with the relocation of the affected people and the transportation of supplies. So far, over 500 flood-damaged road sections have reopened. For the Beijing Hour, this is Guo Yan. In Tianjin, all rivers are swelling as a result of the rains, and authorities have relocated people along the major rivers in the city. Village official Xin Chengyan says they've made preparations. At the relocation site, there is already food, water, and medicine to prepare for good conditions for the people moving there. The emergency management bureau says it's reinforced dams and advised the public to stay away from the rivers. A more rain started to pound parts of northeastern China. In Jilin, emergency management staff are patrolling areas that are pl- prone to flooding. Neighboring Heilongjiang province is clearing flooded roads and trying to minimize the impacts of the weather. Cleaning and reconstruction have begun in Beijing after the city experienced historic floods. The rain in the capital, uh, or the capital received from Saturday to Wednesday, was the heaviest the city has seen in 140 years of weather records. In Fengshan District in the southwest, uh, teams have restored telecommunications and are still repairing roads and bridges. In Montogog District in the west, uh, efforts are shifting to helping people resume their daily lives. Huang Yue reports. And beside the Heihegou River, which, if you follow the news closely, you will know that days ago, video clips showing the river surging and turbulent went rival online. But、uh, the river has resumed as stable and calm. So Mentougou District is one of the hardest hit regions、uh, during this round of、uh, torrential rainfall in Beijing. And after over 70 hours of continuous rain, and、uh, now the floodwaters have receded, and the recovery work is still underway, including dredging, cleaning up the. Roads and riverbanks. I've also talked to some shop owners along the street and along the rivers.、Uh, they said the the rain was the rain was too heavy, so the floodwaters came into、uh, their shops. So they've suffered some economic losses. So they are now trying their best to clean up their stores and resume the business as soon as possible. And they've told me that、uh, at least in the downtown regions of、uh, Mentougou District, the electricity and water supplies have been resumed. And actually, we've learned from the Beijing Water Work Group that、uh, four new、uh, water distribution monitors have been put into operation, and、uh, the water have been、uh, tested, qualified. So the daily uh, supply, uh, daily water supply, is now 72,000 cubic meters, which can meet the、uh, demand of the region, at least in the downtown region. That was Huang Yue reporting on reconstruction progress in Montogou. Passengers on a stranded train in Beijing are now safe. Days after heavy rainfall triggered landslides and trapped them on board, rescuers freed them in the morning, about 72 hours after the slides halted rail service. The incident took place in a suburban area. Local villagers provided food and water for the passengers during their ordeal. Zheng Tao has more. K396, a train carrying around a thousand passengers, was stuck in a mountainous area 70 kilometers away from the city. The passengers had been expecting to arrive in the capital on Sunday, before the downpours and slides stopped their travels. The people on the train had no access to basic necessities, including food and water, putting them in a dangerous situation. But local villagers came to the rescue, providing a lifeline for all people on board. Meng Amei is the local community leader. She says, upon receiving the news of the train passengers and their predicament, the village has worked tirelessly to provide support. 
We were informed of the situation and decided to ensure the safety of these nearly a thousand passengers. All the villagers have selflessly given away their food and made pots of noodle soup and dosu. The community has a permanent population of less than 400. Most of them are elderly. Ensuring the safety of over a thousand passengers in such a small community is a daunting task. The neighborhood was cut off from electricity and water due to extreme weather, but local residents chose to share all they have with the passengers. Probably the youngest resident is me, 51-year-old. The residents are all old people, and they don't have much savings. However, they've been looking for water and rice from various places to make porridge for passengers. Some residents even say, if we have a bite to eat, we won't let any passengers go hungry. Among the stranded passengers, there were several children aged between 11 and 13. Villagers reserved the community auditorium for these children. The building has the best conditions in the village. Passengers express their gratitude. Many residents have no food and water. They then decided to pick their homegrown cucumbers and eggplants for us. They even gave us their homemade pickles. An old couple provided nine of us food and shelter. They even wanted to help more people. The villagers had faced a short supply of food and drinks for several days, but they still left something for us. Authorities have also been striving to re-establish communication. The first group of emergency responders arrived in the village on Tuesday and managed to repair communication facilities. After walking four hours, another 40-member rescue team arrived later on the same day, bringing food, water and medicines. Then, a rescue force of 500 came at night. Attendant Zhao Yang from K396 teared up when recalling the incident. The most difficult part for me is bringing the necessities back to the train when passengers were still on it. I've never seen such a heavy rain in my whole life. Because the journey is on a slope, the water goes down the slope and we need to walk on it. I was really scared. But I also worried that the passengers have nothing to eat. On Wednesday morning, the first batch of 328 passengers arrived safely in Beijing. Later in the day, another 500 passengers arrived. The remaining passengers arrived in the early morning on Thursday. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. China's Meteorological Administration says most regions in China will continue to experience high temperatures and heavy rains this month. The administration also released its first annual report on climate change in polar regions. Sunya has details. China's meteorological authorities are cautioning that for the month of August, China could see more extreme heat, more rainfall, and more tropical cyclones that could further evolve into typhoons. Jia Xiaolong, the deputy director for China, uh, China's National Climate Center, has said that they are cautioning uh, heavy rainfalls and secondary disasters for large parts of China for the month of August. And then this July is also recorded as the hottest month 
however, uh, globally, and China's meteorological authorities is also uh, releasing its first ever report on climate change in polar areas. And Zhang Xinying, one of the officials with the CMA, has said they have found that polar areas have seen a significant uh, temperature change. That's including the Arctic area, which has seen uh, temperature rise faster than the global average. They have also found a significant decrease in sea ice in and then they have also found a higher concentration of greenhouse gases in those areas. That was Sunya reporting. Coming up, Niger's coup leader rejects the sanctions on his country. Over the past weekend, maximum precipitation in northern China reached over 1,000 millimeters in three days equivalent to the total amount of rainfall typically seen over two years. Elsewhere in the north, including Beijing, people also experience unprecedented and destructive rainfall. What caused this weather anomaly? How are communities coping with the situation? To what extent is this related to climate change? And what can we learn from it? If that's the case, then next year could be even hotter than this year. Tune in to Deep Dive this week to explore the answers. Available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. At 13 minutes past the hour. Niger's military leaders rejected sanctions and warned against foreign intervention. This comes as ECOWAS meets in Nigeria to discuss the coup. The regional bloc is given a one-week deadline to restore the president to power or face military force. Deji Badamosi reports. Despite his threats to use force to restore democracy in Niger, if necessary, ECOWAS is still playing the diplomatic card. It sent a former military leader of Nigeria, Abdus Salami Abubakar, to Naomi to negotiate with the coup leaders, urging them to back down and reinstate President Bazoum. At the same time, the bloc is piling more economic pressure on Niger. Nigeria has cut off electricity supplies to the country. Cote d'Ivoire has also suspended all imports and exports to Niger. Meanwhile, the military junta has reopened its land and air border with Mali, Burkina Faso, Algeria, Chad and Libya. A junta delegation is in Mali, seeking the support of that country's military regime. France, in the meantime, has continued to evacuate its citizens from the country after its embassy there came under attack. Over 250 have already been evacuated and have arrived safely in Paris. So the situation in Niger remains fluid. The new military regime has arrested a number of ministers and continues to detain President Bazoum in the presidential palace. That was Deji Badamosi reporting on an ECOWAS meeting in, uh, or on Niger. Locals in Niger have started to feel the economic effects brought by the trade and financial sanctions imposed on the country. Some shoppers say food prices are already going up. One of them says she spent 23 U.S. dollars buying 25 kilograms of rice on Wednesday, while she used to pay only $17 for the same amount. Economist Abdul Aziz Saini at the University of Niemi says the fact that Niger is a landlocked country is one of the reasons why the sanctions all negatively affect the people's well-being. 
We know very well that we trade with bordering countries, since we are not a country with direct access to the sea. Everything we order arrives at the ports of neighboring countries, and from these neighboring countries we have to transport it to Niger. So, if these countries decide to close their borders, frankly, there will be an impact on the social economic life of the Niger people. Most of the country's banking operations are reportedly shut down. There are also reports that cash machines have stopped dispensing money. Sri Lanka is one of the first countries to participate in jointly building the Belt and Road Initiative. Sri Lankan Foreign Minister Ali Sabri says Chinese investment has helped improve Sri Lanka's infrastructure and fuel its economic recovery. Sri Lanka in 2009 won the war of a civil war which we had against LTT terrorists. So we have managed to win the war. But since then, because of the 26 years of, of depression, we couldn't really take off as an economy. It was the Chinese investment came in terms of built in BRI initiative and the other way that helped Sri Lanka. They have built ports, they have built uh, airports, they have built big roads, they have built uh, reclaimed lands and the port cities. So that just gave impetus to the Sri Lankan economy at that time. Landmark projects with Chinese investments, such as the Colombo Port City, are set to reshape the local and regional economies. The minister says he hopes to see more Chinese firms invest in the construction of an air and sea transport hub in Sri Lanka. It's very, very important for us in the Colombo Port City will be one of a kind in the whole region for a long period of time. That will showcase Sri Lanka's beauty and the location to the world. And that will also attract a lot of investors from the various parts of the world. And... Sri Lanka had known for its location for a long, long period of time. We have been part of the silk route between Sri Lanka and China. So, but we have not been able to kind of maximize it and use it for a long period of time. That is because lack of investment. This investment that I was talking about had really given an impetus for that, uh, our long-term ability and the intention to create a naval and air transport hub in Sri Lanka. Those, so this investment helped us in that. Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed the Belt and Road Initiative back in 2013. China will host a Belt and Road Forum later this year. More than 40 ambassadors and representatives from Asian, Latin American, and African countries have begun a trip in Xinjiang. Uh, they visited Kashgar and toured companies in the local plum industry and those providing safe drinking water. Liu Surrey reports. Jiaxi County in Kashgar City once scrabbled with water shortage issues, but with the support of the Chinese government since 1995, local residents have improved their skills in acquiring and storing the invaluable resource. Now the biggest project for safe drinking water is able to process more than 80,000 cubic meters on a daily basis. With the water quality of Jiaxi County improving, the locals embraces planting industry for further economic achievement. Plum cultivation has become a major driver of increasing local income. So far, the county has planted 300 million square meters of plum orchards, producing 230,000 tons of the fruit, accounting for 60 percent of China's total production. The whole province is participating in the rejuvenation of the nation through modernization. We can see the effects of the um, strong drive to alleviate poverty. We were able to see the water project first and now the um, plum cooperative. And we can see how 
the lives of the people are transforming. The ambassador's trip in Xinjiang will continue until August the 4th, covering other cities such as Kyuka and Urumuchi. And that was Lu Sere reporting from Kashgar, Xinjiang. The deadline's looming for Japan's plan to release nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean. Many people in the country fear the move will impact their health and harm the fishing industry. Discharging nuclear-contaminated water into the sea will have a significant impact on people, especially on the kids. This must not happen. The Japanese government and TEPCO must take responsibility. Without the consent of those who work in the fishery industry, nuclear-contaminated water will not be released into the sea. This was the commitment by the Japanese government and TEPCO. Now they're backing out from that promise, and this creates a big problem. No one wants to take responsibility for the fishermen. Japan's uh, proceeding with its plan despite domestic and international criticism. The process is expected to last up to 30 years. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, protecting dragon boat culture and heritage in Hunan province. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. Now, 21 minutes past the hour. Well, in today's story from Hunan Province, we go to the hometown of Dragon Boats and learn about the craft of Dragon Boat head carving. Generations of people in Hunan are dedicated to protecting the intangible cultural heritage of Dragon Boats, while also infusing new elements to enhance vitality and appeal. Uh, Joe Fung spoke with a seasoned craftsman and a young enthusiast from Dow County to learn about their efforts in this field. Chen Bingshou has been honing his skills as a craftsman for over 40 years. He began learning the art of carving dragon boat heads at the age of 19 under the guidance of his master. With more than four decades of experience, Chen possesses a profound understanding of what constitutes a remarkable dragon boat head. Creating an exquisite dragon head from scratch requires several steps, including cutting the materials, shaping the base, assembling the rough model, carving, polishing, and lacquering. It takes about half a month to complete. Whether a tree is suitable or not depends on its original appearance and bending deflection. If the appearance and the deflection is not suitable, I'll have to adjust accordingly and combine different carvings together to make a dragon boat. Dao County is known as the hometown of dragon boats. Dragon boat heads in the county boast four types of shapes, including the heads of a dragon, tiger, phoenix, and kilin. The traditional craft was added to the National Intangible Cultural Heritage List in 2021. The allure of this heritage has also captivated the interest of young individuals who are eager to learn and preserve it. Zhou Shishan is an art teacher at a local middle school. He's been learning and working at Master Chen's workshop for over a decade. Joe says he finds great joy in being part of the team. Since 2012, I've been learning from Master Chen because I find it incredibly fascinating. 
After the dragon head is crafted, painting becomes essential. Due to my background in art, people from our village and neighboring villages often seek my assistance in decorating the dragon heads. Sometimes when Master Chen is occupied, I also lend a hand in drawing on the dragon heads. Currently, there are 10 young people learning about the dragon boat headcraft with Master Chen. Despite the increase in number, Joe says he's worried that young people today may be too preoccupied with their jobs to engage in traditional crafts. To ensure the dragon boat making can be carried forward, he's been working to raise awareness and encourage participation. Since I attended the training courses on intangible cultural heritage in Guizhou in 2019, I've been promoting Chinese traditional culture and the traditional culture of my hometown. I hope that more individuals will become involved in this endeavor to appreciate the exceptional traditional craftsmanship and the aesthetic taste embodied in dragon boats. Joe adds that hopefully he could provide students with a deeper understanding of this excellent traditional culture by incorporating it into the classroom through projects. The dragon boat race in Dao County has its origins in the Song Dynasty, dating back over 1,000 years. Each year, over 100 boats and 3,000 participants take part in the race, drawing in a crowd of more than 400,000 spectators from both home and abroad. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang. And tomorrow we wrap up this trip to Hunan and meet a couple from South Africa who've settled in a small central Chinese county. A federal jury has decided that the gunman who launched the deadliest attack on Jewish people in the United States will be sentenced to death. Uh, Robert Bowers opened fire at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh in October 2018, killing 11 people and injuring six others. Some survivors and relatives of some of the victims of the attack have welcomed the verdict after it was read. Finally, justice has been served. And even though nothing will bring my dad back, I feel like a weight has been lifted and I can breathe a sigh of relief. This moment is a step along the healing process. It doesn't bring deep comfort, but we hope, I hope, that this brings a measure of peace, peace of mind, peace in the heart, and peace in the soul. Jury found Bowers eligible for the death penalty last month. The 50-year-old was convicted of all 63 charges against him for the mass shooting. Officials in Western Canada are urging water conservation as drought and wildfires hit British Columbia. Emergency Management Minister Bowen Ma says uh, the drought is challenging an increasing number of people, businesses and communities. 23 of our province's 34 water basins are in a drought level 4 or drought level 5 classification. This continues to be a severe situation. We all have a role to play in conserving water to make sure everyone has access to water when they need it. And it's important that our extreme drought situation is not overshadowed by the ongoing wildfire situation. Hundreds of people and properties in British Columbia are under evacuation orders amid the wildfires. Water restrictions are expected in some communities. Lawn watering will be banned in Metro Vancouver while using a sprinkler for trees, flowers and shrubs will be allowed between 5 and 9 in the morning every day. 
The Orkney Archipelago in northern Scotland's become the first location in the UK to receive mail delivered by a drone. A Royal Mail launched a distribution service between three islands on the archipelago to deliver packages and letters by drone. Uh, the letters and parcels will be transported from Royal Mail's delivery office in Kirkwall to Stromness, both on the main island of Orkney. Drones will then be dispatched from Stromness to the nearby islands of uh, Gramsay and Hoy, uh, where uh, postal workers will finish their delivery routes. Chris Paxton is the head of the drone trials for Royal Mail. And he says uh, the reason they chose Orkney for the latest drone trial is due to the unique local geography. We've got uh, three islands that are separated by a very small distance. So um, Gramsay um, is a little over a kilometre away from the main island of Orkney. Um, and then you've also got uh, the northern tip of Hoy, which is just three kilometres away. Um, and the unique um, fact that all three of them are, are so close is, is what enables us to do this trial and to do it um, in a slightly different way from what we've done previously. Service will start off initially as a three-month trial, but it is expected to be continued permanently. Uh, 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 26 degrees overnight. Friday will see moderate rainfall and a high of 30. In rain hit northeastern China, Chengchun has issued a red alert. The city has moderate rain in 23 this evening, thunder showers and a high of 29 on Friday. Elsewhere, uh, Iran has announced a two-day holiday nationwide because of the heat. Uh, Tehran will be cloudy in 39 tomorrow. Awaz will hit 47 degrees Celsius. Uh, Tokyo's at 26 overnight, a slight rain in 35 on Friday. Bangkok's at 27 this evening then a slight rain and 33 degrees celsius it's time for a short break so far this hour chinese authorities are allocating resources and funds for disaster relief following the damage done by typhoon dok suri nishar's coup leader has spoken out against sanctions on his country and warned against foreign intervention and hunan province is taking steps to preserve and protect dragon boat culture and heritage shane begum with you stay with us here on the beijing hour From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. 
This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's service sector starts Q3 on a strong note. In sports, more gold for China at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, cultural exchange activities in conjunction with those games in Chengdu. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Now, a check of the day's headline news. In China's earmarked 100 million yuan, or roughly 14 million U.S. dollars, to support post-flooding reconstruction in Beijing and neighboring Hebei province. Rescue teams are gathering in Chuazhou as more than 130,000 people in the city are affected by floods. Provincial authorities in Hebei are sending emergency relief supplies to the disaster-hit areas. Over 8,000 emergency responders are working around the clock now, and rescue and recovery operations can continue after Typhoon Doksuri unleashed torrential rains across the Beijing-Tianjin-Hebei region. Niger's coup leader says the sanctions imposed by the economic community of West African states aims to humiliate the country's defense, security forces, and people. ECOWAS has given the coup leaders a one-week deadline to cede power and reinstate the, or reinstate the president, or otherwise uh, it could use force to restore the ousted president to power. The bloc has also announced travel and financial sanctions on military leaders in Niger involved in the coup that ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. Brigadier General Abdurrahman Chani says the sanctions are designed to create conditions to further impoverish the population in Niger and impact the people's lives negatively, which will ultimately make the country ungovernable. Iran's announced a two-day holiday nationwide because of the increasingly high temperatures. Governmental officials, uh, or rather offices, banks, schools, and many shops have closed. The decision came after the health ministry warned about a possible increase in cases of heat exhaustion. Uh, some residents in Tehran say they're seeking different ways to cope with the heat waves. It's getting hotter every year and the weather of Tehran is so dry. There's little humidity. I try to drink more water and use the air conditioner, but I turn it down during the peak hour of electricity and wear cooler clothes to deal with the hot weather. I try to stay home as much as I can and work from home, but some people can't do that and have to go out, and that's difficult. I try to go out only when necessary and go back home soon to not be harmed by the heat. Temperatures in the running capital are expected to reach 39 degrees Celsius over the coming days. Many cities and towns in Iran have seen temperatures of around 40 degrees this summer, with a few of them even experiencing 50 degrees Celsius. Some South American countries are seeing record high winter temperatures this year. Argentinian National Meteorological Service uh, spokesperson Cindy Fernandez says many regions in the country have recorded the hottest beginning of August in more than a century. We're going through a fairly warm winter in Argentina. We've had very few eruptions of cold air, and in particular now in August, a month of midwinter is breaking records with temperatures that are really very high. Usual temperature for winter in Argentina amounts to a maximum of around 18 degrees Celsius. Uh, Chile has also recorded high winter temperatures in its northern mountain range areas, reaching 37 degrees. Climatologist Raul Cordero from the University of Santiago says uh, one of the problems of high winter temperatures is they melt the seasonal snow at high speed. 
In countries such as Chile, the provision of water during the dry season, spring and summer, rely on this natural storage that's the snowy mountain range. It's a natural reservoir that provides water to communities and big cities in the central region of Chile. Warmer temperatures in Chile are expected to last until the end of the week. Thailand's House Speaker says Friday's parliamentary vote to select the country's next prime minister is being postponed. Thailand's constitutional courts deferred the decision and said it'll consider the case on August 16th. The move continues a political deadlock that stretched on since a general election in May. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva says he supports more countries joining the BRICS group. We are going to discuss the entry of new countries to the BRICS, and I'm of the opinion that as many countries want to enter, if they are in compliance with the rules we are establishing, we will accept the country's entrance. Lula's remarks came after media reports said that Brazil has resisted expanding the membership of BRICS. It quoted unidentified Brazilian diplomats as voicing concern that adding more countries could lessen the influence of the existing members. Dozens of countries have formally applied to join the group, including Saudi Arabia and Iran. China says that it always holds that BRICS is open and inclusive and that it supports BRICS expansion and welcomes more like-minded partners to join. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's service sector starts Q3 on a strong note. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. We're at 37 minutes past the hour now. In business, stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished higher on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, latest survey of China's service sector activity did show some uh, slightly faster expansion in July thanks to increased demand over the summer holiday season. And that data really did help to push both the Shanghai Composite and the Shenzhen component up. They both closed uh, more than half of 1% higher. Uh, Financials and real estate stocks were the main sectors to get a lift. China Life Insurance contributed uh, the most to gains in Shanghai. It was up by about 3.9%. China's biggest lender, ICBC, uh, was another major contributor. It added about 1%. Uh, Developer Metro Land Corporation uh, was one of the top percentage gainers. It was up 10%. And Gemdale Corp, another home builder, rose 4.4%. Uh, We also saw shares in the lithium extractor Yahua Industrial Group close 2.7% higher. Uh, That came after the firm announced its second multi-billion yuan supply deal in as many days. Yahua announced uh, that it had signed an 11.1 billion yuan deal to supply lithium to the uh, Chinese EV battery maker CATL. It had announced a similar deal with Tesla. Uh, that could be worth more than 80 billion yuan. Uh, That was between now and 2030. So uh, the good news for the company and these long-term supply deals boosting its stock price. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei dipped 1.7 percent.
China's service sector kicked off the third quarter on solid footing, supported by an expansion of business activity. The Caixin Purchasing Managers Index rose to 54.1 in July, indicating an expansion of business activity across the sector for the seventh straight month. Uh, meanwhile, sub-indices also showed new business uh, picked up from June. German auto supplier ZF Group has opened a new R&D center in Guangzhou, where it's also kickstart construction for an auto electronics plant. The tech center is the uh, company's first R&D center in South China. It focuses on areas such as software development, design, and system integration. A schedule to start mass production in 2025, that new plant under construction is ZF's second automotive electronics factory in China. Products will include advanced driver assistance systems, safety electronics, and chassis controllers. The University Games in Chengdu selected Xpeng Motors as the official torch relay vehicle. Li Mengyuan spoke to CEO Ha Xiaopeng to delve into the future of the electric vehicle market. Is there anything new for this year's marketing strategy? Over the past five years, the new energy vehicle sector has witnessed a remarkable growth. This year marks the emergence of a new era for smart vehicles, which we believe will define the next five years. On June 29, we introduced the G6 model and were pleasantly surprised to find that 70% of buyers opted for vehicles equipped with city driving assistance features. The competition in the car market has intensified significantly. In China alone, there were approximately 100 original car manufacturers and 300 new entrants in the past five years. However, in 2022, only 50 car companies managed to achieve significant sales. In light of this competition, we have revaluated our position in the market. While we were initially perceived as a small technology-based company, we recognized the need to think bigger to survive and thrive. Our new ambition is to become China's premier car maker. By 2030, our target is to achieve sales volumes of at least 4 million cars, as we expect that around 80% of the car market will be dominated by a few major players. Tell us more about Xpeng's strategy in terms of core technologies, and what's your plan for autonomous vehicles in the next five years? At the core of our technological differentiation lies AI and software development, complemented by the quality of our hardware, system costs, and overall AI integration. Most of our vehicle technologies are either self-developed or achieved through collaborations. Looking ahead, we anticipate that intelligent assisted driving will be accessible in every corner of China within the next one to two years. Furthermore, based on current trends, the following five years will see the emergence of quasi-autonomous driving as the next stage of development. As a group of enterprises, we strive to build a strong reputation for quality and technological innovation. Our goal is to boldly establish our brand and global presence. While AI and software remain our primary focus, we are committed to integrating AI into the entire vehicle manufacturing process to elevate the quality of our products. With these ambitions, we aim to stand out among Chinese car manufacturers and expand our presence on the international stage. That was Xpeng CEO He Xiaopeng sharing his perspectives on the EV market and the company's vision for autonomous vehicles. 
Cambodia has inaugurated the Third Ring Road encircling parts of the capital, Phnom Penh. The road was built with a loan from the Export-Import Bank of China. Over a period of 52 months, workers built 53 kilometers of road along with two bridges and a couple of flyovers. With two lanes of traffic in each direction, the road stretches from southwestern Phnom Penh to National Road 1 in Kandal Province. China's first big data exchange in Guiyang, Guizhou Province, is aiming for an annual trading volume of over 10 billion yuan, or roughly 1.4 billion U.S. dollars, by 2025. The Provincial Big Data Development Administration Bureau says the exchange is expected to take the lead in data circulation transactions across the country. Guiyang Big Data Exchange supports computing power, algorithms, and other diversified product trading and provides services covering more than 20 industries, such as finance, transportation, and meteorology. As of Wednesday, over 600 trading entities have set up businesses at the exchange, with a cumulative transaction volume of roughly 1.7 billion yuan. Well, Shandong province is one of China's most industrialized regions. Authorities there are urging companies to incorporate new technologies into their manufacturing processes in a bid to increase efficiency and cut their carbon footprints. Wang Suwen visited a traditional clothing manufacturer that's gone digital. Sewing machines busy rolling on the assembly line. Founded in 1993, Dishan Group is a clothing company based in the coastal city of Weihai in Shandong province. As one of the largest import and export clothing companies in China, it has transformed operations from simply processing materials to digital design and manufacturing, breaking through the traditional business model for making clothes for foreign brands. It's now looking to move forward, making products to meet demand across the supply chain, and the way forward is digital. The company has launched three platforms and one base, a design platform, a fabric supply platform, an information connecting platform, and one manufacturing base. Dishan Group works with more than 500 brands, 3,000-plus designers, and over 4,000 suppliers of fabric and accessories around the world. Designing apparel, incorporating digital sewing and digital sample production online to shorten the new product development cycle. From being an original equipment manufacturer to an original design manufacturer, now the ODM business model accounts for 95% of exports. Combining design and innovation with manufacturing, we want to create our own advantage globally. Provincial authorities in Shandong are urging companies to introduce intelligent systems into their manufacturing processes. In July this year, the province released a plan to promote digital upgrading, green transformation, energy savings, and carbon reduction to innovate and create a world-class industry. And that was uh, Wang Suen reporting. The South Korean Central Bank says the country's foreign reserves rose for the second straight month in July on higher conversion value of non-U.S. dollar assets. The BOK says foreign currency reserves came in at around 422 billion U.S. dollars at the end of July, an increase of over 300 million from a month earlier. The index, which gauges the dollar value versus six major peers, declined 1.7% last month. South Korea was the world's eighth largest holder of foreign reserves at the end of June. That's up one notch from a month earlier. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, more gold for China at the World University Games. 
Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio will bring you the latest news, highlights, and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. Now 47 past the hour now and shifting to sports. Here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. At the Chengdu World University Games, Chinese swimmers made a splash in the pool, winning four more golds. World champions Zhang Yufei and Qin Haiyang took AC wins in their competitions. Liu Yaxin, representing Shanghai Jiaotong University, took first place in the women's 200-meter backstroke. China collected more gold medals from taekwondo, gymnastics, and diving events. The Chinese team also took its first victory in men's basketball in Chengdu, beating Mongolia 75-71. For more action, we now go to Tianyu in Chengdu. Hi, Tianyu. Obviously, Team China did quite well in the swimming pool. Uh, tell us more about it. Well, yeah, the Chinese swimmers have really made a splash these days. First of all, in women's 50 meters butterfly final, Zhang Yufei has maintained her best form and refreshed her record she created in the semifinal by finishing the finals race with 25.2 seconds, which is the best result for players in this event among all editions of the World University Games. It's fair to say that she has dominated this event by ranking the first place from heat to the final. And another gold medal came soon after Zhang claimed Chinese women team's second gold. It was Qinghai Yang who was able to stand out among all competitors in the 100 meters breaststroke finals. From the FINA World Championships in Fukuona to the World University Games in Chengdu, his brilliant performances can always kindle the passion from the spectators. And it was not the end of the match day for Zhang and Qing because they went on to compete in the mixed 4x100m medley relay final and won the gold medal again with the teammates Li Bingjie and Wang Gukai Lai. Now many consider the lineup formed by the four star swimmers as one of the strongest in the Chinese swimming team and I think they have proved this point with what they have presented in this year's tournament. And finally, another highlight for the swimming team came from Liu Yaxing, who added another gold medal for Team China in women's 200 meters backstroke final by finishing over two seconds ahead of the silver medalist. So yeah, it was a great harvest day for the Chinese swimmers. The players have been doing excellent, and let's keep giving out our encouragement and wish them a pleasant journey here in Chengdu. Yang Guang. All right, thanks a lot. That was Tianyu in Chengdu. The World University Games is an occasion where participants from around the world communicate on cultural exchanges and sports development. Earlier, Tianyu spoke with Steve Patnastro, a track and field coach with Team USA, to talk about his perspectives on the tournament. What are your impressions for this year's World University Games? This is my first one. Man, I can't say how, like, it is life-changing. I mean, like, Chengdu makes dreams come true. I mean, it's, it is true. It, is, it sounds to like everything is is so lined up you know where to be when to be the scheduling the the people this is just like an olympic village the way everything's set up and organized and compared to the other games from obviously talking to my colleagues the opening ceremony this the just the care the attention to detail the you mean the trade there's like five tracks on this campus i say half the colleges in the united states don't even have a track but they have a team and these kids will have to go to a local high school or a middle school to practice and it's like 
there's like five of them right here and they're all better than anything I've ever seen. This is insane. The games are having delegations from all over the world. Have you interacted with people from other countries? And is there anything interesting that you can share with us? From sitting next to like Korean athletes, like from water polo, those guys are the funniest because I've met so far. Uh, I've met the delegation, meeting all these different people and everyone is like really similar, but like everyone has like their little cultural differences. It's fun to see and see our kids interact with and it's like, seeing people eat with chopsticks. Like, where I'm from, that's, no one knows how to do it. And seeing, like, our kids, like, just watching and be like, do you see them? Like, they're picking up rice with chopsticks. Like, that's fascinating to us, you know? And just seeing how orderly certain things are and how different countries interact, it's, it's been really cool. The sports industry of universities in the U.S. has remained at a high level over these years. What advice can you offer to Chinese universities in growing sports? What's worked for us is setting things up in a different talent division. So, I know, like we say, with in, in the goal being, how do we get a very talented pool? But I think it comes from the grassroots, the bottom, like from high school, like really starting education, teaching people how to teach at a younger age, then having separate divisions so everyone feels like they have a chance to be a winner in a, in a roundabout way. So Division Three in the United States is one of our lower divisions, but it's more for academic kids, think in that space. But if you let them compete, they can win national championships. They can compete at a very high level amongst themselves. That helps kind of breed that culture where all those people are, they're competitive, they love doing it, they're passionate about it. And as if they have kids, they push their kids into sports because they love the sport. So it's not just a small pool of like really athletic people that are pushing the sport to a positive area where you really start breeding it at the lower end and those people work their way up. With the different divisions um, and the different funding, having scholarships available to pull talent in and also having the right talent scouts. That was Tian Yu speaking with Steve Patnostro, a track and field coach with Team USA. In football, a courageous Jamaican team held Brazil to a goalie straw to reach the knockout phase for the first time in only their second Women's World Cup. The result means Brazil suffered its earliest exit from the event since 1995. Needing a point to go through, Jamaica barely threatened to score but was tight on defense, repelling wave after wave of Brazilian attacks. Jamaican goalkeeper Rebecca Spencer says the game showed the team's resilience. Yeah, I feel like we've been hugely underestimated. Um, obviously, with the noise that was going outside of us playing um, and the lack of matches that we had leading into the tournament, I don't think anyone took us seriously. Uh, but as a group, um, like I said, as players and staff, we know that we've got a real togetherness and a family feel within our group. Uh, we're resilient and we, we had a point to prove. France progressed from group as the top finisher after a 6-3 win against Panama. Italian goalkeeper Gianluigi Buffon has retired from football. The 45-year-old announced the news after a 28-year illustrious career with both club and country. Buffon, who lifted World Cup in 2006, won 10 Serie A titles with Juventus and a Ligue 1 title with Paris Saint-Germain. Buffon is the most capped goalkeeper in history, having played 176 times for Italy. And finally, Manchester City is close to finalizing a deal for RB Leipzig centre-back Joshko Vardiol. The clubs have agreed to a transfer fee of £77.6 million for the creation. The 21-year-old has been coveted by a number of top clubs, including Chelsea and Tottenham, who both wanted to sign him last year. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, cultural exchange activities in conjunction with those World University Games in Chengdu. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. 
at 54 minutes past the hour. In culture and entertainment, well, Chengdu is known as a park city. During the university games, Guixi Park is holding 14 consecutive days of cultural exchange activities. Residents can experience various um, sports events and enjoy traditional Chinese cultural performances. Guo Tianxi spoke to visitors. In Chengdu, it takes only 10 minutes to walk to a park, making sports a common habit for the city dwellers. During the 31st World University Games, many new fan sports have been added to these parks, such as handing for 100 seconds to win a prize of the game's mascot, Rongbao. I love baseball. After doing sports, I lost a lot of weight. I didn't like sports before, but now I just can't stand not exercising. I like rope jumping, walking and cycling, which is my new lifestyle after retirement. Chengdu is known as the city of parks, with more than 1,500 parks connected by more than 6,500 kilometers of greenways around the city. People of any age can find a sport that suits them. There are outdoor fields for basketball, badminton, and even skateboarding in different parks. It's convenient for us to exercise. We just finished baseball practice and saw this big performance here, so I took my son here immediately to learn some traditional culture. Day and night, we're treated to a wide mix of traditional Chinese shows, from music, dancing, even to wushu, hanfu musical. And all of these ensure that all the locals and visitors are gripped by the spectacle. In line with the green and low-carbon idea of the World University Games, all the material used in the cultural activities can be recycled, and the performances will continue until the closure of the Games on August 8th. And that was Guo Tianxi on the cultural activities in Chengdu Parks during the World University Games. Sanxingdui Museum in Sichuan Province has released a poster for an animated feature inspired by some of the facility's valuable artifacts in conjunction with the trial opening of the museum's new extension. Uh, Heroes of the Golden Mask is scheduled to hit screens this year. The film follows the journey of a boy who accidentally travels back in time to the ancient city during its most prosperous era. Uh, The movie retells stories of the most renowned artifacts from the archaeological site including a gold mask and a bronze sculpture resembling a mythological tree. A director of Christopher Nolan's blockbuster film Oppenheimer has set off a wave of excitement among moviegoers in China ahead of the film's scheduled release in the country later this month. On July 25th, Universal Pictures' official account on Weibo announced that Oppenheimer was set to open on August 30th. Christopher Nolan has uh, built a dedicated fan base in China thanks to his sci-fi uh, hit features uh, Inception and Interstellar, both of which made the top 10 of the Doban Top 250 film list. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now, checking the forecast before we go for the day. In Beijing's at 26 overnight. Friday, we'll see moderate rainfall in 30. Chongqing's at 26 this evening, then a slight rain in 34. Last is down to 11, then rain in 22. Hong Kong's at 28 tonight, showers and 33 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight, a slight rain and 35 on Friday. Islamabad will have a slight rain and 24 this evening, then a high of 32 tomorrow. Bangkok's at 27 overnight, then some rain and 33. In Africa, 
that. Nairobi is getting a slight rainfall in 22 degrees. And finally, to Oceania, cities at 9 this evening, then overcast in 22. Auckland's at 3 overnight. Tomorrow, some rain in 15. Port Vila will have moderate rainfall in 24 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Chinese authorities are allocating resources and funds for disaster relief following the damage done by Typhoon Doksuri, and Niger's coup leaders spoke out against sanctions on his country. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.